join me in just praying for Brian this morning. Lord Jesus, uh, we've already prayed together this morning, but we just pray again for your clarity, uh, for your light to shine this morning. Would you come and speak to the hearts of your people? May, may Brian decrease and you increase this morning, Lord. Because when you're present and when you speak, things are different. So just come and have your way, we pray. Use my brother, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, so we're going to be just walking through a little bit of um, the first week of Advent. Uh, does anyone know what the first week of Advent is? What? I heard it. Hope, yes. Way to go. We're not a very high church, meaning like liturgical. Uh, but yeah, the first week, <laughs> Bryce just learned it, is hope. Now you all have just learned it as well. Um, and so this morning, we're just going to be walking through very simply um, the idea of hope within the biblical narrative. Um, the other four weeks, well, four weeks in total, the other three weeks uh, focus on um, a specific theme that the church for centuries, for decades and centuries, um, has been focusing on as, as a reminder of Christmas. Christmas isn't just about uh, some presents, although... Um, as a kid, that's what I thought it was about. Um, and I'm sure most of us think that's what it's about still. Um, that Christmas is more than just, you know, little baby Jesus in a manger and uh, the wise men coming to him. But it, it is supposed to bring about certain ideas and feelings inside of us as believers. And so um, before I talk about hope a little bit, I just want to invite us to not fall asleep for, for me. Um, which is a good thing. And so I want you, uh, maybe just turn around. I'm so sorry if you're an introvert, but I'm going to make you talk. Uh, just turn around, maybe grab like a few people, your family, whatever it is. Um, and I want you all just for one minute to maybe discuss um, a few times in which within the biblical narrative, maybe a story comes to mind, story of Jesus, Old Testament, something of a great reversal, a great reversal. I mean, like one thing was going to happen, but then, like, God changed things, and another thing happened. Does that make sense? So I'm just going to give you a one minute to talk, genuinely, actually talk to someone near you, about a time in Scripture in which you've seen a great reversal. Three, two, one, go. I'm seeing the dread fall over people's faces. I'm sorry, but this is happening whether you like it or not. <laughs> oh, yeah, it can't be just Jesus. I'm sorry. It can't be that. Give you all like 30 more seconds. Awesome. A few more seconds. Wrap up those incredible thoughts. Maybe introverts start thinking them.
All right, I'm starting to hear silence. That's great. Obviously, the, the real answer to this question, um, I heard someone over here say Jesus. Uh, that is, you know, the cheating answer. But it is the real answer, if we're going to be honest. Um, all those incredible, I, I'm, I'm sure you all talked about a lot of great ones, but for the sake of time, uh, we're not going to go over them. Um, we're going to do some stuff later on. But um, all of those great reversals right, point to a little bit of the theme of who God is, right? That he takes some really messed up, broken situations, some really impossible scenarios, and it's just the character of God. He loves to change them and make something beautiful out of the brokenness. And we see that, obviously, in the life of Jesus, in his death, in his resurrection. That would obviously, the thing that, as, as Christians, we hold on to, we believe that it's crazy that somehow, in some incredible way, the God of the universe stepped down into human flesh, took it on, lived a life that we could not live, died a death that we deserved, and somehow, some way, through God's power, rose on the third day, conquering sin and death. And so as we kind of focus in on hope, um, just that should be in, in the background of our mind that God is the great God of reversal. He is the great God that changes broken situations, impossible situations, and makes them beautiful. So last year, actually, Bryce also invited me to uh, talk about this. Uh, I think it was the first day of Advent last year as well. Because as I was preparing for this, I was looking at some notes, and I'm like, oh, man, a lot of these notes are matching up with last year. Um, and so that doesn't matter. I didn't copy and paste anything. But last year, if you were here, um, I did play a video for you all, and I, I'm going to play that video again. Um, this is by the Bible Project. If you don't know what the Bible Project is, um, it's one of the greatest resources out there. Um, they focus on essentially making the Bible um, very knowledgeable for us. And they go through a lot of themes in Scripture, and so they actually have this incredible short video on hope. Um, and they talk a little bit about the Hebrew word and where that came from. And so um, if we have that ready, I would love to play it. It's like four minutes long. So. But most of us know that experience, we call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for wheat. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's relief. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. 
Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sin. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I come off for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated this similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this entity. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Awesome. I love that video. I think it puts into perspective so much of, I think, what this Christmas season is about, especially as we talk about hope. Let me uh, start my timer so I'm not going five hours on this message. Um, that will happen. Um, so that word, y'all, um, it's why I, I love Advent. It's, it's anticipating God's kingdom to come in light of God's past faithfulness. And then we look towards, right, the future. The future, the coming of Christ. Our current suffering, whatever's going on in our life, the, the hardship that we endure, um, whatever it may be, we look towards Jesus as the answer because he's already been the answer. He's already been the answer. I, I heard this definition, I think I shared it last time. This may have been one of the parts that I stole from last year's message, but hope is the foundation for prophetic imagination and for spiritual formation in the kingdom of God. It's the foundation for prophetic imagination, the thing that will come true, but also for spiritual formation, which is the thing that God is renewing inside of us right now in the kingdom of God. 
And so today I'm going to invite us into, into reading and studying 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with me. And it's a very short chapter. Um, it does not have anything to do with hope, um, essentially, but we're going to weave some stuff into there because we see Paul um, you know, imploring the church in Corinth um, to see hope in their present circumstances. And so I'm going to read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to look at this kind of section by section. And it says this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, this is a lot, and Paul is writing to a church that um, they're, they're struggling a lot with their identity. Um, this is actually Paul's fourth letter to this church. There's a lot of back and forth. We only have um, two letters, though. And there are people that are infiltrating this church, and they're kind of distorting the message that Paul has been preaching to them. Um, and so Paul is frustrated. There's a lot happening in Paul's life. He's actually, if you read in the book of Acts, he's just been shipwrecked. Um, there's a lot happening in Paul's life. But he's, he's imploring them, don't forget about Jesus. Don't let other people turn your face from Christ to other things in this world. In fact, in verse 1, he says this, and I love this. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. It's always through God's mercy towards us. The gospel, gospel will forever be God's mercy towards us. It's something that we don't deserve. And because of that, it's where we put our hope. Our hope is in something that we don't deserve. It's not anything that we've done. It's, it's merely grace towards us. And I love that because as the video said, our hope isn't in, uh, I'm going to hope to see how this could work out maybe in my life or my family's life or whatever it may be, but my hope is certain that God has said what he has said and it will happen because I can see what he's done for me. And so Paul says to his friends who are struggling with who they are in this time and season, it is God's mercy that we need to be reminded of. Later down in, in this, he, he gets into some Sticky stuff in verse 4, he says this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age has blinded. I, it's, it's pretty incredible. These words, essentially, Paul is saying that without Jesus, humans, we're, we're wicked. 
at the inner part of our being, all humans, deep down because of the condition of sin, there is something that is wicked about us. And by that, I don't mean all of us are capable of, of going out today and murdering somebody. I, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that our inmost desires are not in line with who God is without the cross of Christ, without Jesus redeeming us and turning us into his image. What Paul is saying here is that there are really only two teams. There's team Satan and there's team God. There's team Satan and there's team God. And there's no other teams. There's no other in-between. There's no other questions. Or, ah, this person's really good. That's not what Paul, he doesn't care about good or right or right. What he's saying is that, man, this world is, is, it's distorted. It's broken. There's something wrong about it. And that's because since the fall, all human beings are, are separated from God. And, and that's what Paul is saying here is that, our eyes have been blinded. It's a condition. It's a reason why we go forth and tell people about the hope that we have in Christ. This world is, is blinded, and Paul's sentence that he, he says is that they're following the kingdom of darkness. And unless the Holy Spirit working in line with you know, believers preaching the good news, the gospel, the proclamation, unless that happens, the, the heart doesn't just change. The heart do, doesn't just change to become in line with God. It is only through the Holy Spirit's working and the proclamation of the gospel that people can begin to see, wow, I am s sinful and wicked, and wow, I, the message of Jesus dying on the cross for me, that is something I want. Here's the thing, I don't like that. <laughs> but Paul isn't asking what I like or not. I also don't like that the Browns are on their fourth quarterback and about to start a 39-year-old man, okay? I don't like that, but that doesn't change <laughs> the fact that that's the way it is, okay? <laughs> I also don't like this. I don't like that this world is, is sinful and broken. I don't like the idea that there are two teams, Team Satan and and, and Team God and Team Satan is the prescription of everybody who has ever been born on this earth except for Jesus. I don't like that. But that doesn't change the reality of the situation. of That, that is exactly how it is. And so if the gospel will always be God's mercy towards us because it was never us choosing Jesus the gospel is God choosing to love us despite our brokenness. That is the hope that we see, that we need. It's that God chooses to look at us with love and grace and say, I, I want you. You are deserving of my love, not because of anything that you've done, but because of the way I see you. I value you because there's, there's still a part of you in which I created you with my image and I love that. And I desire to redeem that and restore that and turn it into something beautiful. A great reversal. So why is Paul saying this to them? Well, Paul is screaming to them, don't go back to what you came from or where you came from. That is not life. 
I always t- tell my friends, you know, as a Young Life leader, I, I tell them, hey, we're about two things, living life to the fullest and the person of Jesus, because in Jesus we find true life and true life to the fullest. Outside of Christ, there, there really is no life. And so Paul is telling his friends, don't go back. Don't believe the other people who are telling you there's life somewhere else. The true hope is in Jesus. The true hope is in Jesus. And I want to just implore you this Christmas season to, to maybe just refocus on that. As those, I want to order things on Amazon every day. <laughs> my bank account doesn't want me to. Um, <laughs> but there are things that my, my, I just want to go to. Maybe there's something in, like, I don't know. I had a hard week and I found myself on Amazon more times this week and my phone reminded me of that. That's like the one time I'm actually thankful for my phone. <laughs> it reminded me like, hey, don't, you shouldn't be doing that. But there's something deep inside of us. When things get hard, when things go bad, we, we just want to turn to something that's easy, to something that like, it just, it simply makes life a, a little better right now. But Paul is just saying, no, don't go back to the things that you once placed your hope in. It's not where life is. And so Paul continues on in verses 7 through 12. He says this. I I love this section. He says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I love this. He uses this imagery of like this fragile jar of clay that contains something beautiful. This, this fragile jar of clay. I, I, I don't have a jar of clay, um, but I remember in like sixth grade, there was like a pottery class. Um, and like our friend, I was like most middle school boys, sorry, anyone over there, I was an idiot. And <laughs> I made like this jar of clay and, and my friends and I were messing around once it was like, you know, burned and um, put in like the, the pottery place to be heated up. And I remember getting it and my friend knocked it out of my hands and it shattered and I was like, well, there goes like multiple hours of classwork. And uh, I think I failed that grade, which didn't give me a good grade in that ultimate class. But I remember it was like it fell and it broke and shattered and there was not much I could do after that, right? And that's kind of like what Paul is saying is our, our lives can be incredibly fragile And so can our faith, but here's the thing. Even as Brian, a fragile being, it is God that holds me together. And so in my view, it is incredibly fragile, but in God's view, it is kept safe and secure. God keeps us safe and secure. And so I just want to read this again, verses 8 through 10, and just just listen to the beauty of this. It's the great reversal of who God is. It is the but in these these sentences. Because from our perspective, it is going incredibly bad. 
But from God's perspective, he is renewing and creating something beautiful. We are hard-pressed on every side. I feel that right now. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because we carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so also that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. I carry around the brokenness of Christ's death. Why? Because, so God can remind me that out of this brokenness, God redeems and renews something beautiful. God is the but in every single one of those sentences. He is the reason why I'm not destroyed. He's the reason why I'm not struck down. He's the reason why I'm never alone or abandoned because God will always be there. He is with us in these moments of despair, these moments of hardship, these moments of feeling persecuted or alone. God is always there. He is the thing keeping that fragile faith from falling to the ground and breaking. There was maybe, there's no real um, numbers behind this. We we have some numbers. Um, There's probably two or three hundred Christians in Corinth during this time. We don't really have many statistics until a hundred to two hundred years after this. But there were very few number of Christians in Corinth. I mean, it would be it kind of like this church. It would be very easy for someone to walk in way cooler than me or Bryce, and uh, and start trying to invite you all to believe something else. It would be, and that, that is, Paul is seeing this happen and he's far away and he's writing letters, probably in tears, thinking, oh my gosh, what can I do? I'm not there. And so he, he's just telling them, this, don't forget Jesus. Don't forget the one who pulled you out of the mess that you were in. Don't forget the one who is keeping you together. Paul is saying, don't lose the hope that you have. And I think he's still telling us that today. Don't lose the hope that you have. And the reason why I say that is because, I don't know, um, this is the first year that Christmas is going to be really hard for us. I've heard a lot of people say holidays can be really difficult um, as family members have lost people, as, I don't know, divorce. I mean, things just really difficult in life. Um, This is the first year Charlie... Um, our son is not going to have his twin sister, Jenny, as she passed away. Um, it, it's just difficult. Our, at Thanksgiving, Bree's family makes pe- pre- sorry, peanut brittle. <clears throat> and uh, you've got to like, flip it and pour it onto these marble things, and everyone like butters their fingers so their fingers don't sear off in the hot, molten <laughs> peanut brittle. And you begin to like, pull it off. And I just remembered like, doing that with Jenny last year. And it was, it was hard. And Surrounded by a lot of people, we were laughing and trying not to swear as our fingers were burning. <laughs> um, I, it's just hard. I, yesterday, <clears throat> Braven and Brielle, I was in the car with them, and they were talking about Jenny dying. And it, it's, it's just hard. It's just difficult. And I think that's why, like, what is our hope in? I know this time might be difficult for a lot of you, but where is our hope it can't be in just another Christmas gift. It can't be in another Christmas party or even just sitting alone. That's the thing I go to. Our hope has to be in Christ that, 
that Jen, she's with Jesus, and while that doesn't make it easier for me necessarily right now, because I still feel that pain, and I still embrace that hurt, the ultimate vision is that, man, God is faithful, and he is good. And I know, and I know he's creating the circumstance for something beautiful. I have to trust that. I have to trust in who God is. There's this quote um, by a, a Christian who lived in around the 300s, towards the end of the 300s. Um, his name's Augustine of Hippo. Um, and he has this, yeah, not of an actual hippo, but a city. <laughs> um, and he has this, this wonderful quote, and he says this. Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are. And courage to see that they don't remain the way they are. And I think that that is so true. The tension of, of hope is that we feel the anger. We see the brokenness of this world. We see the brokenness of our, our lives, of our, of our family, whatever it may be. We feel that, and we should. But there's also the other hand of the tension, of the courage to believe that oh, God is in this with me. He's in this with me. I know he is. I don't see it. I don't feel it, but he's here. Where do we go with that? Is it towards hope or despair? And Paul, is, he is praying that his friends and family here in this body of Christ and also here see the hope, the hope and the glory of Christ. Hope isn't cheap and neither is grace. One of the things I also tell my friends um, is that we're allowed to be angry in hope. We are allowed to be angry. I always say our, our daddy has big shoulders. He can take our anger. Because I think that's true. <laughs> when my kids are, you know, throwing tantrums on the ground because they get punished or, you know, Braven's frustrated because he just smacked his brother in the face with a fake sword and I have to take it away. You know, <laughs> like, he's angry. And that's okay. As his dad, I can, I can take that because I love him. And sometimes I think we simplify God so much that we don't believe he can take our anger. I promise you. I promise you, he can take it. He can take what we throw at him. In fact, I think he invites us to throw it at him because we are met with grace and love. He is the God of love. That's who he is. And he invites us to come to him with our thoughts, our feelings, our anger, because he gives us hope. Don't you think the disciples, when they were in you know, a house, praying that they wouldn't be crucified as well, do you think any of them were angry that Jesus was just crucified? I mean, their hope was he's going to change everything. He's going to finally overthrow this Roman government. He's going to finally do something that we've been hoping for for hundreds of years, and he dies. And he dies. And they're sitting in a room thinking, I don't see how this could get any worse, and I also don't see any hope in this situation until, boom, the risen Jesus starts knocking on the door saying, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Because God is the God of hope. I want to ask you um, a quick question. <clears throat> I was reading an academic journal on, on hope um, 
this week trying to compile some thoughts because I didn't have many thoughts on this. I was, I was struggling putting this message together. Um, and the author asked this, this question, which I thought was ridiculous, but he asked, how many of you believe that waterfalls can flow backwards? How many of you believe that waterfalls can flow backwards? Only the kids raised their hand. They're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> just, just going up through the air. How many believe that waterfalls can, it seems like absolutely not. But there are times, yeah, Amos is like, yeah. Uh, there are times when, when so much water, <clears throat> when so much water falls, because of things like hurricanes, that the water starts flowing backwards and literally up waterfalls. There are documented waterfalls. They're probably not like Niagara Falls, but they're still waterfalls nonetheless, <clears throat> in which there is a great reversal in the water flow. And water starts rushing backwards up, literally a waterfall. I thought this was ridiculous, and then he started to explain it, and he literally named a few waterfalls, and so what did I do? I went to Google and typed in those waterfalls, and there it was, and I was like, that's incredible. <laughs> I didn't know that could happen. I believe the Mississippi River's also, um, during Hurricane Katrina and some of those other, it's literally reversed the way it's flown because of such a, a great rush of water. Things that seem impossible, because that doesn't make sense. No, things only flow down, not up. <clears throat> but when such an immense power starts pressing against the way that things are, at least in our minds, we see incredible things. And that's who Jesus is, the God of great reversal. Reversing things in our minds, that doesn't make sense. And so I love that little kids raise their hand first. Absolutely. They're the ones that want to be right. But also God, Jesus tells us to have faith like a child. And that's beautiful. We see it right there. No, of course not. I'm an adult. I've seen nothing goes back up a waterfall. <clears throat> Except when it does. And so I want to continue reading verses 13 through 18. And then um, I will try and wrap this up. It says this. <clears throat> it is written... This is um, Paul's quoting Psalm um, 116. He says this, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. <clears throat> and catch this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but, unseen, but what is unseen is eternal. There's three thick or quick things <clears throat> that I've got from this for you. In verse 14, what he says, essentially, is that God has got you. He's got you. He's got you in his arms, and he won't forget about you. 
He has a hold of you and he won't let go. The God who loves you and created you for a purpose, he's got you. Do you actually believe that? Do you believe that waterfalls can run backwards? Because if a crazy storm can do that, how much more can the God that created that crazy storm do that for you? Do you believe that God has got you in these light and momentary sufferings? The second is this. We see things wasting away, as he says in verse 16. We see things wasting away, but outwardly, or outwardly, they're wasting away, but inwardly, our hope is a God and his renewal of ourselves. Our bodies are wasting away. The, de- the death rate of human beings is, is one for one. Okay? Whoever is born also dies, including Jesus. I am wasting away. One day I'll die. <clears throat> I am wasting away, but inwardly, God has me. There is renewal happening. I, I don't wish you could meet probably 16-year-old Brian when I met Jesus um, and 15-year-old Brian before I met Jesus. I don't want you to ever meet him. <laughs> I was terrible. I still am terrible. You can ask my wife. But I am better because of the work and not morally better. I'm sure there's a part of me that's morally better. better. But inwardly, Jesus is renewing me into the person he created me to be. Who Brian is now, I did not want to be when I was 16, but that's because I didn't know what was good for me. Only God knew that. And he has thus been renewing me into the new creation that I am now ever since that day. And even though most days I don't feel like God is bringing me anywhere, I am on a journey that is moving towards me meeting Christ one day and being fully perfected. And every one of you are as well. If our hope is in Jesus, you are moving, whether you, whether you like it or not, whether you see it or not, and your husband or wife or whoever it is, they are also moving in that direction. If their faith is in Jesus, and we need to remember that, that is our hope. That is it. Because I'm not going to get much better on my own. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, there's a, you know, I can behavior modification my way into a few better things in this life, but probably not many. But Jesus is the hope of glory inside of me who is renewing me day by day. And in verse 18, he says this, fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, he says in, In the book of John, everything, everything in all of scripture, everything in here points to him. If we're reading this and not seeing Jesus, we're reading it the wrong way. Everything, everything points to Jesus. And and so our lives need to be focused on Christ. Our hope of Christmas, of, of everything in this Advent season needs to be reframing our focus to Jesus because he is the hope and glory. Someone somewhere said this. Oh, sorry. Someone somewhere said this. Hope says God can. Faith says God will. And love said God is good. Hope is oxygen for our soul. And I I love that. Hope is the oxygen for our soul. It, It is what 
gives us breath to wake up day by day, trusting that God has us, even if it's bad. Even if it's a bad thing that's about to have us, it is a part of God's plan, and we might not see that. We might not fully know that, but our faith implores us to embrace it. Embrace it. And so this Advent season, we celebrate baby Jesus, right? <laughs> but that's because the incarnation proves that God is willing to get into the mess with us. That God took on human flesh because he had a plan for redemption. His plan was to get into the mess with us so that he could walk the life we could not walk. And that life led to the cross in which he bore our sin, he bore my shame, he bore my suffering. He bore it. Why? Because he loves us. He loves you. And he is imploring you. Believe in that. Put your trust and faith in the risen Jesus. He did it for you. In this hope, he is, he is screaming. You are my child, and I love you. That is the hope. You are my child, and I love you. I died for you, and I'm inviting you. Please, put your faith and trust in me. That is the hope that we see this Christmas season, and hopefully not just this Christmas, this Christmas season, but for the rest of our lives. Friends, um, I just want to invite you into thinking, I, I don't know where some of you are with Jesus, but he is inviting you, imploring you, where is your hope? Put it in Jesus. Put it in Jesus, the one who really loves you. He is not just a Christmas gift that you unwrap and put away in two years or hope that there's more and more of it. He is the one that we fix our eyes on day by day because it gets better and better because he loves us greater and more infinite than anything we could ever understand. The power that raised Jesus from the dead wants to live inside of you to transform you more and more into the person you were created to be. I'm just telling you right now, it is the greatest thing you will ever see because it is the reason you were created to be in a relationship with him. <clears throat> it is the reason. And so I will begin to wrap this up. I've got a few minutes left. I have a timer. And uh, I just want, if you want to hold your thumb and maybe flip over, if you have a Bible, to 1 Corinthians um, 13, chapter 13, verse 13. It says this. <clears throat> this is like the great marriage uh, you know, chapter, um, which that's, that's great. Um, but Paul finishes his thought by saying this. And now these three things remain. He's talking about faith and love and who God is towards us. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But he says an interesting thing. The greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. So I want to ask you, why is the greatest love? These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. So maybe just ask you, if anyone wants to respond, why would he say the greatest is love?
high five you for remembering that quote. That's inc someone was listening. All right, <laughs> you would have asked me to re recite that quote. I would not have. <laughs> yes, anyone else? That's great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it was his love that laid that foundation for us to have that. Absolutely, that's beautiful. Anyone else? Absolutely. Love is the foundation. Absolutely. Yeah, Tim. Absolutely. <clears throat> Boom. That's, that's exactly it. It's, it's the Advent season. We, we know that God has done what he's done. And so we, we anticipate what he's going to do. And one day when that happens, when that anticipation is over, we don't need hope or faith because it's right in front of us. It's just love. We just experienced God's goodness and love for eternity on, in the new heavens and the new earth. When I see Jesus face to face, I don't need hope that he's going to return because he already has. I don't need faith that he is who he is. And that's the invitation in all of this. And I think that's what, is Paul, what Paul is inviting us into and he wants us to think through of one day we won't need those, but right now we really do. We really do with what's happening in our life, everything. We, we really need those. But the greatest is love. So until then, I, I just invite you all to choose hope right now. Place your hope in Christ. In Christ. Put your hope in Jesus. Because without that, we don't have anything. As I said, as Paul said, there are two teams. There's Team Satan and there's Team Jesus. Well, I don't like that, Paul is imploring us to put our faith and hope in Christ. Let me pray. <clears throat> Jesus, I thank you um, that you are a God that takes our greatest failures, um, the greatest mess-ups in my life have, have often been the greatest things that you've blessed me with so that I can love my family. Some of the worst things that I've ever experienced um, have, have helped me through your Holy Spirit to love my sons well, as I did not experience that early in my life. That you are a God of hope, that you are a God of incredible great reversals, that you are a God that makes water flow upwards when it's not supposed to, because you are greater than the storm, you are greater than we are, and you're the reason we were created, to know and to love you. Jesus, I thank you, and I pray that during this Christmas season, we would reframe our thoughts, our family, the things we are thankful for, to seeing and believing that you are who you say you are. God, give us the faith to have hope in you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.